This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. Just like clockwork, it is now on the national dialogue that immigration is going to become the emotional fireworks that is going to be the attempt of the right to define the Biden administration's lack of border control. Gregory, this week, there's something that's been on my mind I really wanted to visit with you on because you've been talking about this. We've been talking about this for a number of decades now. Um, just like clockwork, it appears that the American right has kind of raised the specter of uh, hordes of caravans and people walking across Mexico um, from Central America and places all over the world to, um, to overrun uh, this country. It has been a long time since we've talked about, uh, or, or, or I shouldn't say we talked about, it's been a long time since we have had a rational immigration policy. And I want your impressions, because I know you're a close observer of this, of whether or not it's time to finally, finally solve the immigration question and how we would go about doing that. Well, you know, the, I, I think the, the, the question will be, might be soon, damn, how do we get more immigrants? So, and that would be a great place to start. Um, uh, any sort of constructive conversation about reforming a system. Let me just give some basics. That so, this this illegal immigration has been declining for twenty years. It isn't a huge problem anymore. Uh, and you know what? It was not solved by the United States Congress. It was not solved by a United States president. All the stuff that comes from Washington, it's not entirely all on the right's fault, is punitive. It's all about enforcement. It's all this weird, you know, the American government determines all human behavior and it didn't do anything. And guess what? Demographers predicted more than a generation ago that Mexico's birth rate will decline and there will be fewer people turning 18 each year who will be either unemployed or underemployed and fewer people will go northward. Guess what? It happened. So basically when it was high, when there were high numbers of, of illegal crossings, nothing was done. So it was a problem that basically went away by itself through other means that was not determined by any rational policy. So then then when illegal immigration is at its lowest, then it, it, it doesn't matter. You can pick, you know, the, the right will turn it into a bogeyman whenever it needs to. If there's four, you, you know, remember, you remember uh, uh, Get Smart uh, uh, when, when Agent 86 would say, Siegfried, right now you are surrounded by 25 control agents and the Siegfried would not, not as, uh, you know, shake his head no. And he said, uh, five policemen? Now it says, what about three Cub Scouts? So, okay. There could be three people at the border. With, there's a, there's, if there's enough cameras, if there's enough, you know, editorializing, if, and if Ted, if Ted Cruz can arrive on a gunboat, then it's a huge issue. It's just one of these, again, this, this politically generated, media-conveyed, bogus issues that basically Congress hasn't done anything about for decades. Um, so, you know, it's what, and there's no incentive to, it, 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 because there is this sort of implicitly racist, this, this insistence 
that somehow the United States is a victim of people. It's the weirdest discourse that poor people come here to victimize the United States. It's really demented when you think about it, right? So, and no one's ever stopped and made us all think about advantages, uh, whether we need them economically, whether growth requires them to be here and whether there's enough people to do the work. So, and again, so I, I think it seems like at least as long as I've been looking at it, the American political class and perhaps the American public is incapable of talking about it in terms of efficacy, need, uh, economics, without making it a bogeyman issue uh, on one side or getting, well, I don't even want to say the, the left because I, I don't think the left is playing a role in it at the moment. And, and so when Biden says no to, to letting in refugees, he's, he's also giving, a, you know, he's giving some deference to, to the racists too. Why you can't, so you can't even be, kind you can't even let in refugees so i think it, this country is actually incapable of having a, a grown-up conversation about immigration and i think that's been as long as we've been alive there's a lot to unpack here with immigration it's actually the, the one defining political issue of my entire career i think in many ways it's kind of what began our friendship 25 or 30 years ago um not that issue specifically but but the height of kind of uh the last time we saw uh, the issues of undocumented or illegal immigration being being fought out uh, kind of in the arena in California during Proposition 187, 1994, when it was proposed um, by, by initiative, by citizen initiative to prevent any government services from going to anybody here who is here undocumented. Including so you, look, I, I think there's going to be I think we're going to, to we're going to have to hit a few episodes on this because it is so long and it is an issue that you and I have been talking about for so long. But let's start with 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 what you just said, because there's there's, there's even so much there. The first is is the the undebatable fact that politically the right needs this issue unresolved. It doesn't have no, it, it any rationale, any reason to fix this problem. It's because not they a need problem. It's not a problem. The right needs it to pretend that it's a problem. It is not a problem. Fair the enough. number of apprehensions of the, over the last 20 years at the border have gone down 76%. They were going down before. It has nothing to do with Trump. It has nothing to do with punitive measures. Punitive measures. It has nothing to do with spending money in border patrol. It's all bullshit. There's not a border crisis. There's not an immigration crisis. Again, when we talk about it, finally, maybe the country will talk about it in terms of need. We need immigrants for a variety of reasons. Let's so, talk about that. Let's talk about that. Because you're, you're right. It's a manufactured political crisis. Undeniable. Yeah. Undeniable. Um, and of course, you know, the racist elements and the racist components are so easily dismissed by the Republican base because they'll say, oh, yeah, anytime we bring up border security or anything, you're just going to call us racist, so screw you anyway, even though it's a manufactured crisis. But let, let's not get off topic, the yeah. topic there yet. Let's get back to the need, because there's an economic need, there's an economic component to this. There's also sort of a cultural component, which I think is extraordinarily important. But and, and so let's let's just start with those two. And where, where do you want to tackle? Where, well, where do you want to go? Number first? one, I, because I'm a Mexican American writer, because I was a columnist for a paper years, and my interest was always analyzing reality and how it came to be. I was never prescriptive. So in many ways, I 
pride myself and maybe I shouldn't, I never took sides on the debate and I'm not going to right now. Mm -hmm. I don't believe because everybody wanted me to, because I'm a Brown writer. I was supposed to be writing about that. I can, dude, I could write about Eskimos and someone would write me a nasty letter. Cause I'm a, you know, you're, you're a freaking Mexican or whatever. So I don't, I, 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 I sought to understand its existence uh, its effect. I'm I'm somewhat of an expert of of American ethnography and and ethnic succession, but um, but I don't I, I don't want I don't, so so you can tell your opinions about immigration, but right now I'm just saying we can't even talk about it in terms of anything constructive. Let me give you for instance this notion of open borders. Nobody's I don't know a damn Democratic uh, sitting official. Who wants open borders? I've never heard one say it. But again, it's the issue is so full of boogeymen. You see what I mean? Yeah. And it's so good and it's so dominated by the right that even the levels of successes that, that, that Democrats or liberals can have on it, it's still defined within that generally sort of who are these people are not worthy. That's where it comes up. These people are not. I was up in a, in a talk in Portland years ago and, and someone asked me, well, well, are these people like, are these people we should choose? Like, I don't know. Did they choose your grandpa? I mean, it's, it's, re it's just condescending. It's, um, and it really doesn't understand. It doesn't really get to migration as, as a global force driven by human need, driven by human tragedy, natural tragedy, driven by all sorts of things that aren't determined by governments. You see what I'm saying? It's of one course. of the, it's, it's just, it's just, it, it, there's this sense that it can be controlled in easy ways. Um, so, so let me throw this back on you. So, so you seem to have an opinion about whether it's good for a country and you're indicating it economically and culturally. So how so? Well, look, I'm not an expert on the economics of it all, uh, but I do want to articulate both sides um, in, in, a, in a cursory way, because I've heard this argument again for the better part of 30 years. There's always a study that says the undocumented add more into the taxpayers' coffers than they take out. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But what I will say is this, that's antithetical to what I think the common person believes, that people who are here who are poor are somehow adding more into the taxpayer coffers than they're taking out. That just, it almost, it's, it's, it's almost, it, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue well. It's almost like saying the more poor people we have, the richer we'll be as a society. And I'm not, I'm not making an argument either way. What I'm trying to do, dear listeners and Gregory, is, is frame this politically because this is so fraught politically. And that's the world that I swim in. That's the pool that I swim in is how does this play with public perception? What are the advantages to the Republicans and to the Democrats? So economic argument number one, and again, I'm sure I'll get a lot of pushback on this and that's okay, that's why we're here, is that those that are here, the undocumented that are here, add more to the taxpayer coffers than they take out. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. They add more to job that's, creation as well. That's, and job creation, that's, that's a really difficult um, mm -hmm. sell politically, no matter what side of the, uh, of the equation that you're on. You just, you, that, you, that, that dog don't hunt. You're not gonna be able to sell that at the ballot box. Uh, there is a very good argument that the aging of America uh, is requiring a younger workforce 
to start paying into into social security to keep it solvent while people you know um, are getting older and, and older whiter americans are drawing off the social security system someone's got someone's got to be kicking some dough into right. there and, and this was an argument first made by david hayes Bautista at ucla and then more recently made by dal myers at usc and they make it well however but let, let me update this because this is when you were you know, it, this is when you were the trenches, what, the, way you're, the way you're talking about right now. When we ultimately do talk about it as a public again, it will be from the position of needing labor, not uh, number one. So that's, there's, the cell will be, if, if corporations and the, and the agricultural business were honest, they'd come forward and say, damn, of course we need them. So instead it gets to sort of the racial, emotional, uh, conservative stuff that that keeps us from talking about it responsibly. But but I, I would go deeper than the political argument and talk about the fact that Mexico, and that, that's that, that's really what I, I had known in the past and I, I still keep, I don't, you know, I'm not as, not as well read on it these days, but that is a, it's a contiguous nation, one. This was Mexican, Southwest was Mexican land, two. It was, the territory was conquered by the U.S., three. Mexicans have been crossing that border for labor. Hey, my great-grandfather came from Chihuahua to work in the copper mines at Clifton Morenzi in 1893. And he wasn't, he wasn't unwanted, dude. He was a smelter. He was not, he was wanted labor because these were the people, the U.S. brought Mexicans to build railroad tracks. The U.S. brought Mexicans to build the Southwest. Uh, something we don't talk about culturally enough. One, two. This is these are these are cultures that have a long-standing relationship of push and pull. Mm -hmm. Three. Uh, the Bracero program brought millions of Mexicans northward from 1942 to 1964. Millions, Agricultural and suddenly, workers. <clears throat> yes, Bracero workers, and and, and so so and and then the, the, the supposedly and the much lauded 1965 uh, Immigration Act. Everyone says it's a great liberal bill. It actually wasn't in terms of what it, what it did was after millions of people were brought north at the invitation of the United States of America. Then the 65 Act put a cap on the number of legal entries from the Western Hemisphere of which Mexico belongs. So then those coming forward. So we're going to say we had we get 20 workers a year, but that's gone. But now we're going to let in five. That's not how humans work. The that's, how my, that's, how, that's not how migration works. So you had families and cousins and uncles and aunts and mothers all following and then reuniting with families and finding jobs near where their family worked. And these, these pathways did not end because of a law, right? The law was not going to determine how these people could reconstructed their families and, and made livings. So that continues. So in any ways, the, the U.S. government created the problem of illegal immigration, rather than rationalizing the process, rather than saying, okay, because it was a rational decision when they brought them here, right? There were there were too many. It was a rational decision. It was a, yes, it was a rational decision. There were too many men abroad and Europe and Asia and the workforce uh, needed more people. Clearly, African-Americans moved from the South to the West, to move to the South to the North and many Oakland, Richmond, you know, and uh, Long Beach making in the, in the factories, making ships. Uh, women went into the workforce. So it changed the entire workforce of the United States. And my um, grandfather came into uh, to work in the aviation industry. So really? Yeah. Fr from? Uh, from Durango. 
Uh, my people are from Sonora and uh, my mother's side, Sonora and Durango. Was he a uh, Bracero or he came uh, other, by other means? No, he came by other means. Um, he actually came uh, pre-war, but was a mechanic, um, mm. but found work um, in the aviation industry as the, the as that was burgeoning. Yeah. At the at a perfect time. At so perfect again, time. again, so so much. You know, you read these. You read East Coast publications, dude. All these people opine. I mean, now this is why I stopped writing about it. all these people opine about immigration as if it's all determined by guys in, in in Brooks Brothers shirts on Capitol Hill, and they never read Mexican history. They never read Southwestern history. They never met a freaking Mexican in their lives, and so it's done. It's decontextualized. You understand? Know saying it's like, are these people worthy? Well, wait a second. These are not exactly strangers. These are cousins and brothers. These are people we've been interacting with. Uh, you know what I mean? And many of our yeah. families came from there. So it was, it's the, it's once again, it's, you know, the Anglo-American political discourse, this weird abstracted worldview without any sensuality in it. Right. So it was and sometimes without any context in it. So it's this bloodless discourse that doesn't even bother to, know why people are here, where they come from, and what were the initial impulses in them being in the first place. And so many people didn't know that the United States, United States government actually invited them out of need. So I believe that if economic need, economic need. Yeah. Well, and economic and social. Yeah. They, the, the country needed them. They war need. You could say military need as well. Right. Right. So so I, I my the best case scenario for me, Mike, is People aren't coming uh, that maybe when we talk about making an immigrant, forget reform, what's, there's nothing to reform. When we talk about a rational immigration law, we're going to talk about it from the point of view of, oh, no, it's going to talk about the United States being in need rather than being victimized. Yeah, I, I, you said something important to their uh, reform. That 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 word does have to be tossed out. Where there's Ugh. nothing to reform. It, it, look, doing creating immigration policy is extraordinarily difficult, largely because it is so fraught with racial angst. I, I think there's also economic yeah, angst. There's economic concerns too. But look, there's a reason why we haven't done anything meaningful since 1986 under the Immigration Reform and Control Act. Before that, it was 1965, 64, 65, when Lyndon 65. Johnson did it. Yeah. So, so it takes at least 25 years. It's a once-in-a-generation event. It's now been 40 years, right? It's, it's overdue, but, but there, is no, there is no reform. It's going to take an entire construction of a new policy framework in order to help us define what immigration is going to look which, like which is not going to be done at all you don't, you're not hopeful that anything will get no, done I, and it's not going to be done as long as the corporations and agribusiness gets its workers as long as the the the, the, the republicans have their bogeyman they could again there could be three cub scouts at the border and it's, ah, hordes caravans you know I, there's no incentive for anybody to actually be rational about this issue it's you know it's so i i you know i I don't think it's going to happen one except except if it becomes a crisis and then it'll be it'll be determined by large corporate corporate interests that are actually testifying for the need right so so and I do I do want to get back to that because I have worked with coalitions in the past with that were funded by agribusiness and the service industry the hotel industry specifically advocating for larger 
uh, numbers of immigrants and a pathway here legally, almost a quasi bracero program for their industries because they economically do need them. I don't know that it's accurate to say that they've been silent. They've just been. They haven't been on the forefront. They haven't. They been haven't been. On, they, that's fair. That's accurate. They haven't been on the forefront. But but as we were talking about this, what immediately popped into my mind is. This issue also seems to be from at least 2008, since the Obama era, the only issue that Democrats have been concerned about the right flank on. Joe Biden is not doing anything because he's worried about the right. He's not worried about the left. He's worried about the, the backlash from the right and jeopardizing his position. That's not happening on criminal justice reform anymore. Right. right. It's not happening on on uh, certainly on tax policy with where they're going with this. It's not happening with anything related to the pandemic. There's like no policy proposal, or, or, or at least there's the one that comes to mind where they are concerned about the right flank. That's interesting. Yeah. And that was, that has always yeah. been a, a the, 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 the specter behind the tree of Democrats yeah. is, you know, everything going back from, from John Kennedy being the cold warrior because he was worried about looking weak militarily. Right. Or, Mm-hmm. Or, or Bill Clinton with, with uh, welfare reform or three strikes uh, legislation. Obama kind of threw out all, most of that playbook with one exception, one exception. And that was tackling the issues of immigration. And Biden mm-hmm. is continuing along that, that, that pathway. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, IRCA in 86. That, that was more, in my mind, a corrective to the, the, what didn't work in 65, one, mm-hmm. including the, you know, the the fact that they created a liberation by bad lawmaking. Two, uh, it was, they did not, the, the, the United States government did not enforce the uh, the law that said that companies hiring undocumented would be penalized. Didn't, I think LA County, there was one case of a company. So they, the, the law wasn't enforced. I'm, I'm grateful for the law that it needed to regularize, pe- regularize people's status. Um, and yeah, it's, and then we sh- we should probably mention that Bush, uh, under Bush, uh, I think it was uh, Secretary of State Powell and uh, uh, Foreign Minister Jorge Castaneda were about to meet to make uh, an immigration bilateral a pact between the countries right before 9/11. Mm-hmm. So so again, Bush had some knowledge. I mean, uh, Bush had some uh, being a Texas governor, uh, knew Mexico and it was comfort, had a comfort level with Mexico. And I think that was the last time that we talked about it in a way. And 9-11 just threw that off the off the well, table. Let me, let, me, <clears throat> let me jump in there because this has really huge personal ramifications for me because you're exactly right. Is I, I worked, you know, closely with the Bush campaign in 2000. Um did a massive Latino you know, voter outreach project and messaging with, with the great Lionel Sosa and Frank Guerra and others. Um, I was planning on moving to, to Washington, D.C. shortly thereafter because I wanted to be part of this discussion politically. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, the appetite for immigration, even the discussion at any level in the Bush administration, completely, completely stopped yeah and it had huge ramifications in my own life my own career what i was working on it saved you from moving to washington dude yeah saved me saved me from moving to washington right i got to stay stay uh, here on the west coast and kind of watch a lot of this stuff unfold but i say that because um well for, for for a number of reasons but not the least of which is the republican party the american right fundamentally changed after 9 11 too 
is you could never have a, a president talking about immigrants aspirationally, positively, as a force for good economically, culturally, morally, from a work ethic perspective, the way that George W. Bush did ever again. There were a couple who tried, there were a couple who tried and their careers blew up spectacularly. You had to then take a very 180 degree different tone towards people coming to this country and it's gotten stronger since 9-11 all the way to last week when you had Ted Cruz on a pontoon boat with Lindsey Graham and fully automatic weapons. That and was sad. It that was, was sad, sad because the, the performative, uh, performative is, is almost too, too generous a word. It was, it, was, it was offensive because what they're trying to do is make it look like they're like war. attacking guerrilla warriors in Vietnam who are yeah. out to kill us. And uh, there's a quasi-military aspect to yeah. it, or maybe an overt military aspect to it, where they are literally defending the nation from the siege that it is under. And like you, you pointed out, that's not only is that you know, completely inaccurate, not only is it completely manufactured, but it is, it is also the flank within which the Biden administration is concerned because they recognize how emotionally yeah. impactful okay. that imagery and messaging is yeah. and the ability to create a framework in that highly charged right. environment is almost impossible. Right, right. But it's almost impossible. Why? Because the public has not been told that immigration has gone down significantly, that unauthorized immigration has gone, the apprehension has gone down 76% in 20 years. They haven't been told. Do no they media, care? No, Do they care? No, I, they would, it would, it would, I don't know if they care. Do they care about any else they read in the paper? But the point being is there has never been an adjustment to the hyperventilated words in, 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 the, in the media sphere of 25 years ago. Okay, let's, let's talk about the lag. You mentioned the anti-illegal immigration laws of 1994. We know in California, we know by 96, already by 96, the Latino population was growing more by births than arrivals. Mm -hmm. Okay, we already, but it was already, it was already, it was already lapsed, it was already lagging, right? It was already lagging. So now it wouldn't be so, the discussion wouldn't be so hyperventilated now if people actually knew there wasn't there wasn't mass illegal immigration anymore. I don't, I don't know. That. I think I think let me tell you why I don't let me tell you why I don't buy that. I don't buy that because you don't think the, you don't think the media should report on, on oh yeah that no, no, have no, changed yeah, in the that world. That, no, of course that's not the point I would uh, yeah yeah okay, that well, let's, let's, let's go okay. Uh, I believe that there is a the fastest shrinking demographic of America are white people. The fastest growing segment are Latino, Hispanic, brown people. They, there is no discerning between whether they are here legally, illegally, or whether they, families have been here for six days or six generations. There is a change afoot that is scaring the hell out of white America. I, I disagree. And, and as, a yeah. as a result, as a result, the fact that the, the, the overwhelming growth in Hispanic descendant Americans are of US born, US origin is of absolutely no consequence. I disagree, Not I disagree. 
There's okay. a difference between, I'm not saying that there's not racism toward different types, but there, as you, you said in the previous show, uh, there, there, there's different sorts of pushback to different, different sets of differences. So the, 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 for, the presence of a foreign language and foreign behaviors and, and feeling foreign in your own neighborhood is different than an English speaking uh, 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 Mexican-American or Salvadoran-American. There may be biases, trust me, we know them intimately, mm -hmm. but it's different. It's a different level of pushback between those who are considered foreign and those who are American, but not like you. So there, I, I know when, I, we both know when the conflation is made and the conflation mm -hmm. you're talking about is real. Okay, we I went to meetings in Orange County during that during 187, the anti-illegal immigration initiative. And dude, I everyone who was Latino was suspect. Got it. I you're totally right. right. But in times like this, I believe when the, the when new migrants are, you know, I walk the streets of Los Angeles these days because I'm not in Europe uh, soon enough. But and I am struck, Mike, how much how much less Spanish is spoken. I mean, most immigrants in California, which is the most heavily immigrant state, are now here for a long time. They're now, they're, they're now, they've been here for 30 years. The levels of English are, are, are high. They can speak to you in either language. So the, the, the feelings of foreignness in highly immigrant places like, like LA have gone away. You see what I mean? The, 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 so I, when I, I don't think I think they've been overwhelmed. I don't think they've gone away. I think it's now dominant. And look, I, I look. You're right. You're absolutely right. The data is saying everything that you're saying, but it, on the ground, in practical terms, for every one Spanish speaker, Spanish dominant Latino that's out there, there are thirty others where white Americans are wondering whether or not we're all suspects. Whose side are you on? <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I just believe that. That's, be that's what the lesson of Prop 187 right, taught I, me as a young man watching this unfold. It was like suddenly, holy shit. I didn't even realize I, I shouldn't say that. I was, I was never fully aware of my Mexicanness and my Mexican identity until two things happened. One, I went to school on the East Coast. Where right, a lot right, of my right, classmates right, yeah. had never met a Mexican-American before and everybody was then suddenly asking me about this strange ballot measure that was happening in California and how it was affecting me and my family, right? Right. And it's because there's this, I don't know, I, I think it's a big part of it is part of the, 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 the way Americans have come to deal or not deal with race. Well, they, they're, they're, again, they're not taqueria, familiar with you. For every taqueria that opens up in North Carolina, the, 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 the Latino lawyer or Latino professional or Latino, you know, second or third generation who's there is suddenly viewed statistically as part of an invasion. All right. I, I, we got this. We, we're going back. It's this. I, I, I agree on the conflation. We've experienced the conflation. And I agree that it happens at, 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 at high volume political discourse. But I disagree that the average white person in Nebraska or Kansas cannot make those distinctions. I completely disagree. I mean, in, in everyday life, remember politics isn't real and it's getting less real in this country. It's, it's a virtual, it's, it's a freaking, it's, it's, it's like a video game and how unrelated it is to reality. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about reality on the ground. There is a difference. If you brought home a Mexican with, a, 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 if, if your white daughter brings home a man in, in a sombrero, 
who spoke no English is different <laughs> if you bring home a Mexican-American who went to Stanford. It is different. And to yeah. say it's not different, it, th- let's allow for, let's, so, so what we're talking about is we can both, we can both be right here, that in the high volume uh, 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 stupidity of political discourse, if you will, uh, that may be. But in everyday life, people make the distinctions and fear levels are different. And the conflation does happen worse at some time. Some people never get rid of it, right? I, my family, again, 1893, and you know, somebody, you know, and I'm part of a, a new LA or something, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So yes, the, the presumption of foreignness and all that, we, we, but, but let's, let's move on from, from I think, uh, you experienced 1994 in, in California, but you also you also know, and I think what you, let me let me try to edit. I think what you're saying is, people will go in other states may go up to a 94, right? Go into that frenzy, mm-hmm. go into that lockdown mode. Let's call it. That's a new phrase we can use, right? We all lockdown mode, right? Um, and then they'll, as I used to say in the 90s, and then the the, the whatever city or state or county we're talking about will then settle into its own skin, right? So you, what you may, so I think this is where we we'll probably agree that you're probably going to see some freakouts like we did in California. But since '94, Calif- white Californians and Californians of all stripes have had a much higher uh, opinion of, of immigrants. Sure. The last, right. So, so yeah. So you're so you're saying it's going to hit a pivotal, angry, lockdown political discourse in certain growth states. But and I'm saying that over time it'll even out. I, I think we're both saying that. Yeah, what what okay. I'm saying is we are just beginning that trajectory. Okay. I, one of the one of the fascinating things, and you and I have talked about this a little bit offline, is in California, 1994, at this pivotal moment, right? Latinos were 11 percent of the electorate. In 2020, nationally, Latinos surpassed. Black Americans as the second largest group, right, voter group right behind whites as 11% of the electorate. We, we are beginning this same process. So look, I think we are kind of, it's like a snake swallowing an elephant. This demographic group has to come through, but I, I, like, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm also not convinced of, of the fact that somehow everybody's just okay with it. I think well, that the I fact that Californians have become more comfortable with it is in large part because so damn many more Californians are Hispanic themselves. Well, I don't know. I mean, first of all, Mexicans aren't even number one anymore in my, in, in arrivals. I think there are three, like Chinese and Indians are more, and you're, you, the, the context has shifted, man. There, there may be anti-Indian mode. There may be anti-Chinese mode. On some level, um, upper middle-class whites can actually complain about Chinese migrants and Indian migrants taking their jobs in, right. in a believable way, yeah. in a way that they can't for Mexicans. So, so I mean, point. there's a different level here. I mean, there, there's this. Uh, I learned this. 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 Uh, there's this downward envy. I learned that in, in Australia, this, this phrase that there, there was this, this like, like take, for, for, for middle-class Anglos are saying Mexicans were taking their jobs, weirdness, but there, there may be some, and it may be bigger than what you're acknowledging, pushback against higher level migrants to places like Silicon Valley and that allow places like California to bring in people fully educated on someone else's dime thereby allowing the state government actually not to care about educating the the Latino kids here. 
Understood. So there, I think, I think there might be a bigger pushback against higher level immigration in the future than against lower level, because I think the argument will be made going forward that we need lower, lower, uh, sort of lower skilled than higher skilled. But it, it depends on the state of the economy at the time. That's just my that's my conjecture right and now. The, and, and the quality of our education. Look, I also work with a lot of business groups that say we're simply not educating people for the new economy. So we have to go across overseas to I, bring people. I, in. I would reformulate it saying we don't have to educate it people in the new economy because we're getting, mm. we're going overseas to get them. It's what, well, you know, chicken or egg dude. But so I think there's good, there can be a viable movement against upward migration that will have more resonance than your pure, your notion of purely racial re- resistance to migration. There are other reasons to say this is bad for us. And, you know, so let, let's take, let's take, uh, Two years after 94, right? The 96 uh, Proposition 209 against affirmative action. Mm -hmm. On its basic level, it was middle class whites believing that affirmative action measures were putting their children at a disadvantage. Forget whatever discourse. That's right. Right. Whatever whatever other reasons may have been. Even though it was advantaging women more than anybody else. Right. Right. Understood. White women. So, so. But 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 put that in perspective. So two years later, the big thing was, so that is also an element. This class, the people who actually do threaten, who 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 threaten white sense of familial mobility are not the Mexicans. They're going to be the threat. This is like, you know the Wall Street Journal did this great piece like fifteen years ago on the you know white residents who moved out of of. of I think it was Capitola. It was one of those near Apple school district because they couldn't compete with the Asian American students. And so, so I think there's going to be upper level. Uh, I mean, it already is. There's already push. If you know, pushback and resistance and and disdain for Asian Americans may uh, be similar to what I believe American anti-Semitism is. American anti-Semitism isn't looking down at people. American anti-Semitism is actually. Uh, a resentment of the status of Jews. Mm-hmm. So again, let's not discount that there are multiple ways for people to hate each other, man, <laughs> right. uh, or yeah. to exclude each other. And I'm not so sure Mexicans will be the uh, the good guys in all this to 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 lower to lower middle class and middle class whites, uh, and they may see higher end Asian immigrants as as those they want to exclude. So is the is the uh, is the argument that we don't need to have an immigration policy? Oh no no we we, we should seek to to regularize things and to do things by some orderly fashion. Uh, no, that's not an argument. I'm just saying I don't believe uh, uh, when it comes to 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 Latin America that American uh, there's too much of too too large of a sector of the American public who can't talk about it. Uh, without racializing it so intensely, um, I don't. I just don't and, and that is fundamentally why Joe Biden is afraid of his right flank on this issue. I, exactly, exactly. Like you can't really let in twenty thousand people who are uh, you know suffering at the border. Yeah, exactly. Like you gave in. Exactly. If you can't do that, well, can then you're you not going to do something bigger. You know. Yeah. I th- and, you know, look, again, as somebody who's been polling and hate to bring it down to this level, but somebody who's been polling and looking at this for candidates and parties for decades now, 
The top issue always, always, always on immigration reform begins, the discussion begins with border security. Yeah, it's just, it's, again, let, let's go back to our early conversation. We should go back to this too. It's again, America needs, we, we, you know, one of our first podcasts 17 years ago. Oh, that's when we started this, right? Um, like um, <laughs> was the need for, you know, Trump's theatrics about the border was, wasn't really about the border. It was about, you know, getting his base to feel some threat. So they stay loyal to him. So again, the, the border thing in, in sort of the Anglo-American imagination is, is in many ways a replacement for the Russian thing, right? So the, the Russian bogeyman has gone away. Uh, you know, we're still suffering from the collapse of the, of, of the Soviet Union. Um, so, you know, so the border plays that role psychologically. We need a foreign threat. Yeah, it, it was, it, ideally, uh, it, you know, it, it's a foreign threat that makes us better. Right. It's a foreign, you know, the Soviet, the, the, the Cold War often made America want to, you know, America's whites treat, you know, non-whites better, made America want to seem more fair, made America want not want to be embarrassed. Uh, so without the foreign threat making us want to prove our moral superiority in addition to other sorts of superiority, uh, we kind of just don't there's no one watching us, you know. Uh, there, there's no one watching us, no one challenging us for moral supremacy as the Soviets did. And uh, so, the, yeah, it's a, the border fills that purpose of uh, the bad guys. Something in 2020 happened that actually gives me hope that there will be some sort of immigration deal done. Uh, first, in, in 2016, of course, Donald Trump starts with the build the wall stuff the chance to build the wall at the rallies it that's becomes... weird I, I hadn't heard that did he do this publicly <laughs> yeah he did it publicly go ahead right. just kidding right 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 before <laughs> lock her up that was the lock her up <laughs> warm-up song uh in 2018 in the midterms he um starts talking about the caravans him and fox news begin yes, the, the, the caravans nice. discussion right and it fails it fails in the midterms pretty spectacularly and he starts to see an erosion of college educated white Republicans who basically say, I've had enough. It was not terribly dissimilar to what happened in the years following the California Republican party after 1994. They're like, okay, look, we made our statement, but we're not gonna live in that world. We're not gonna swim in that pool with you guys as a party and work in this coalition. It's an issue, but it's not an issue that you can kind of harangue on over and over and over again, because I don't like the person that I am and I don't like the party that you're becoming. That's 2018. Fast forward to 2020, okay? You did not hear Donald Trump dog whistling or running against the Mexican-American or Mexican quote-unquote threat. He did he talk about to, law and order. To... He did talk about law and order, which was, was a reversion back to the old anti-black southern wait 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 wait. i i he, he went to the border dude he did he just he mixed it up with other other the, sorts of disdain that's fine but what i'm saying is it was not a central thematic of his campaign it was not yeah understood. Was, and I, there's it's very important and the reason i'm bringing it up is that wasn't that was tactically um a, a very uh, intentional strategy because they were trying to appeal to the Latino electorate in key states. Ah. And, and to a certain extent, it worked, right? He improved his standings with Latino voters, Hispanic voters. 
Has yeah. he resorted back to the old trope, the old rhetoric? I think it would have, he would have had a bigger bloodletting and were lost by an even wider margin. Right. But again, you're presupposing that Mexicans want to come in the same numbers that they did when it was an issue in California. They don't. No. Uh, okay. what, I'm presupposing, so, so, what I'm presupposing is the white reaction to it and the need for second and third generations to respond to it or not politically. That's what I'm saying. That's my point. And it's an important one. It's an extremely important one. I guess because I don't understand it. Trump, the fact that Donald Trump did not run the same campaign in 2020 that he did in 2016 is extraordinarily significant. No, but but, why, but 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 again, if Mexicans are numbers have been declining for 20 years, why is it important? I mean, so what's it, the numbers don't matter. Well, it does That's, matter because America needs immigrants, but it doesn't necessarily need Mexican immigrants. America needs to sit down and talk about its need for people to enliven its culture, to to work at jobs and, and have the gambit, the, the, the screwy American gambit of starting low and hoping to get high. You're and having a very rational discussion about something that is a completely irrational. It's I going to you're be missing my point. Well, I am what missing what your point because I think there's a reason why there's a reason why Ted Cruz showed up on a PT boat with Lindsey Graham last week. Because they're because again, the more the more ridiculous they would look so ridiculous because they came up with the PT boat in front of three Boy Scouts. Correct. I'm saying right, but but that's not what the issue. The immigration will not be decided on the border. It will be decided somewhere else and will be decided with corporations saying we can no longer move forward and the economy will suffer if we don't suddenly bring people in. And it won't that? be from Mexico and it will not be from Mexico. OK, that's fair. That's a fair it's point. Mexico. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I agree. I'm not sure I agree with it. COVID oh. may have changed that. Right. Again, you, you, go ahead. COVID go ahead. may have changed sure. it. Well, yeah. but what I do believe is this, especially knowing the Republican base as well as I do. Social change, social change is overwhelmingly driven by corporations. When the <laughs> corporations say we've got to have it, we've got to do it, we're going to do it. Right. Then the base, the politicians will follow, or at least historically they have. Let me, right. uh, let me, um, and again, part of Americanata is thinking out loud. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit now, because the Republican Party is no longer the party of big business. It's a populist party that in many ways is very anti-big business and the, the schism began largely on this issue. So let me back up for a little bit of context. I made the case, I made the argument that social change that drives the American right begins with corporations. It happened with domestic partnerships which became marriage equality and gay marriage. This all started with the airlines that were hubbed out of San Francisco saying, oh no, we're going to offer domestic partnership benefits to, to gay couples. We're gonna do that. And there was this freak out at the California and, and, and US chambers of commerce going, what the hell do we do? But once corporate America started giving out domestic uh, benefits, domestic partner benefits, then the Republican party political class followed behind it. That has not quite happened yet with these pushes for especially unskilled labor from Mexico. I'm not saying it won't. I think you're right that that's where the catalyst is going to be, but I am seeing a far greater schism with the popular, meaning numerous base of the Republican party against immigration to a greater degree than I did against gay marriage. Boom, that's important. That's very telling. 
it means we're going to be more accepting of gay marriage than we will of changing the color of our country. But you're still rephrase, you're, you're, you're framing changing the color of our country is exactly what they're scared of. And you're framing it the way they want you to frame it so they can say it's about race. It's, it's, we're not changing the color of our country. Which it, it, it's, 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 it's the, again, that's exactly the wrong that's way. That's the boogeyman. Right. Exactly. No, yeah. this country, need, it's all about growth. It's all about, you know, building the economy. And if there's too few, it's going to hurt and you're going to hurt with it. So if you make it about their 401k, I'm not going to disagree with you about notions of social change. I'm sure they're true. Um, but I think the 401k is the bigger, bigger, uh, the bigger challenge to people if you say the economy is going to implode if we don't have enough workers. Fair. Okay. So is it possible then for the Biden administration, if it cares enough on this policy area to lead with economic messaging to get something done? Can it uh, overcome the racial boogeyman on the right? Well, one, I don't think Mexico wants to send, needs to send the numbers of people that did over the last 20, 30 years. Um, two, that we're ta not talking about economics as much as we, we're talking about refugees right now. Three, I'm not interested in immigration policy in the way that you are. Uh, I think what needs to be done for Central American migrants is the help for those countries to, to make those places. There's a lot of these, the American involvement in those countries is, is, is central to the histories of those countries. So I'm less interested in who decides who comes and more interested in understand, can the United States talk about it in an intelligent way? That say, what, what Trump did was this. He punished people coming and then he took away money from the countries that could potentially make their situations better there. Right. Completely punitive, mean, awful on every level. So again, let's just end it on this. I, I, I see what you're saying, but my interest is, can the United States think about it? You know, the best thing I ever heard in the last 30 years in immigration policy, if the United States really gave a crap, if any politician cared about ever stopping mass uh, undocumented migration from Mexico when it was happening, they would have talked about a Marshall Plan. They would have talked about building Mexico. They would have talked in ways that didn't have to do with race or the nature of our country or the border. They would have done something in an effective, uh, uh, neutral policy way to build up Mexico. So if that, if, if we're, so the, the answers to immigration are not about who gets in there. If you want to solve a problem, solve it in ways that aren't about the skin color or the culture or the menace of the people involved and maybe deal with the problem that's pushing people up in the first place if you can't. Because sometimes it's a it's 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 an earthquake uh, that that brought down Somoza and Nicaragua. You know, sometimes they're natural disasters that move people, and sometimes you just can't stop it. That's a fascinating prelude to the next discussion on Americanata, because what you just articulated is what I spent a good couple of years on studying at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. I think you're exactly right. I don't want to talk about a problem that doesn't really exist anymore, but it is central to fixing. A problem going forward. It, it's a change in American foreign policy. But for the moment, Gregory, great conversation. We're not done with this topic, buddy. We're going to keep diving into <laughs> this one because it ain't going away. We'll talk next time here on Americanada. Thanks for tuning right. in. Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of Americanata. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.